What a joyous and wonderful morning we each have been able to enjoy already. Wasn't it Paul who in Galatians 3, 26 and 7 said, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We recognize the beauty and power of the fellowship we enjoy with God through His blessed Son. And what the privilege is, it's ours to come together for a worship service, to offer homage and worship to God. As we do that this morning, a portion of that is a consideration of the Word of God, a study and encouragement of ourselves by it. And over the next few moments, I'd encourage you to consider with me a lesson I've entitled, The Music of the Church. And as you can see, by way of the screen or the article I've placed there on the wall, we will look more carefully at the character of music as it occurs in the Christian worship that you and I consider so lovely and wonderful today. Some introductory thoughts in that way could be very useful for us. It is no grand statement and no revelation at all to appreciate the fact that worship itself often occurs. Man throughout all ages seems to have been involved in the worship of something or someone. That worship may have been to things that are inanimate, like mountains or rocks. It may be to things he's constructed with his own hands, like an idol of something of wood or stone. It may be th things that are human. Man often worships himself in one way or another. It goes without saying that the object, the proper object of worship, was stated by our Lord himself in Matthew 4.10 when he said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And thus today, our question as it relates to the character of worship will more easily focus on what about music as it occurs in worship. It again is not a great revelation to note that worship seems to go hand in hand with music. You and I may have seen television pictures of a people, say, on some island, somewhere in Africa perhaps, and music seems to be a fundamental part of their worship. It was true in the Old Testament, was it not? And as we shall easily appreciate, it is resoundingly true in the New Testament as well. Worship has a recognized part as it relates to music. Some questions, though, that are so powerful are those I've listed at the bottom of that, of that screen. What role does music play in worship? Are there any limitations on what kind of music ought to be in worship? What about vocal music, singing, for example, or other kinds of vocal music? Humming, yodeling, whistling? Or furthermore, what about other accompaniment to vocal music? There are many good questions, wouldn't you say, as it relates to music and worship. Today, let us use the Word of God to help us sort out the answers to these matters and thus come to a better understanding ourselves about the role that music has as it relates to the worship service. To do that, some opening comments could well be appropriate. These opening comments I would submit to you might help to focus our attention on discussions or issues with which each of us on occasion may have had to deal. For example... You and I note that ever since the introduction in 1859 in Midway, Kentucky by a gentleman named L.L. L. Pinkerton, on that occasion he introduced a mechanical instrument into Christian worship service. And ever since that time there have been debates, discussions, questions, dissensions. Brethren have in fact debated the only issue in the entirety of a several day debate. What about the usage of a mechanical instrument of music and worship? 
is that authorized? Is it appropriate or is it not? That opening comment on that screen just merely makes note of that fact. Brethren, now for almost a century and a half have discussed and looked carefully at that thought. I would submit to you today that you and I still are faced with that question quite often. Once someone becomes aware of the fact that you or I attend the Pippin Church of Christ, in not a few occasions, one of the first issues might be, well, you're of that group that doesn't believe in music. You're of that group that's against the usage of music. You're a part of that group, in fact, that is opposed to the accompaniment of music. Might I submit to you then that the perspective that's often presented, the mindset that's often utilized, is such that in the mind of them it is a personal choice. That is to say, one can use mechanical instruments if you like, but you simply choose not to. I'd submit to you that the entire perspective is inappropriate. For you see, you and I need to appreciate the fact that the Scriptures teach this. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him. The very text in verse 17 of Colossians 3. And hence the issue simplifies to this. What is that music that the Christ Jesus has authorized? What's that music he's taught and that heaven has revealed that ought to be a part of worship? It is not a matter of personal choice. It's not a matter that, well, we just prefer not to use a piano or a guitar or an organ. Our reasons go far deeper than that. And today, let us rediscuss to look yet again at the power of music as it has a role to play in worship and be reminded that this is a decree of heaven. In so doing, we shall learn many other things along the way, answers to some of those previous questions. To do that, let us notice that the New Testament, that last will and testament of Jesus Christ our Lord, does make mention of music and worship. There are six texts in the New Testament that address that point, six of them, a half dozen. I would ask that today we look one by one at each one of them and come to a fair and honest conclusion as to what the Holy Scriptures teach with regard to the appearance of music and worship. To do that, let's begin in the 19th chapter of Ephesians chapter 5, the 19th verse of Ephesians chapter 5. As we do that, I have listed some thoughts for your consideration based on that text. It likely is one that's rather familiar Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. As Paul wrote to the brethren in Ephesus, he made note of the fact that this was the church of Christ. It was the one body, Ephesians 4 verse 4, that was founded on the character of unity in Jesus, Ephesians 2 verses 20 to 21. As such, he wrote to them and aided them to appreciate the following fact. They were not to be filled with uncleanness, Ephesians 5.3. They were to be filled with all the fruits of appropriate righteous and godly acts toward heaven. In the midst of that discussion, we find verse 19. Speaking to yourselves. As that verse opens, the Greek may well have been written addressing one another. This was a direct means of communication, of direct discussion, if you will, speaking to yourselves. 
we notice the grand benefit that already is under discussion with regard to the life of the church speaking to yourselves. But notice he lists some other points of consideration. What was to be spoken? Was it jokes? Was it stories? Was it tales? No, he said, speaking to yourselves, how, Paul, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We notice that the medium is thus under discussion. He informs them that as they congregated, as they met and thus spoke with one another, it was to be, in essence, the usage of these spiritually related songs. Notice, though, that he goes further. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. We have thus here a direct description of the means by which the music was to take place. Sing. The word there is the Greek word that means to sing. It has no other meaning in all the Greek language. It means to sing. However, as these Ephesians were thus to sing one to another and thus to build or encourage or edify themselves, Paul uses another verb as well, singing and making melody. To make melody, a different Greek verb, it's the verb solo, and the usage of that verb means to make music. That's the actual literal Greek meaning. It has no other specification in any sense than that. It has no reference to the usage of, of a mechanical instrument per se. It has no reference to any kind of instrument, be it percussion, be it stringed, be it woodwinds. It makes no difference. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. It is a powerful stroke of genius and clarity, isn't it? To see within that that here is a mention of music. It is heaven's will that music be a part of worship. But Paul, what kind and what variety? Singing and making melody. As the reference is there made, might we observe that there is an instrument mentioned. Perhaps that's a shocking thing to you and me, but it is not a mechanical one. Consider this. On what is the music to be played? Singing and making melody in your heart. The heart is not a stringed instrument like a guitar or a banjo. It is not a percussion instrument like a drum. It is not an instrument like an organ or a piano. Here we have mention made of the instrument that's to be employed, and it is the human heart. And he closes the verse by noting that who is the object of this worship? Who are the songs directed to? Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In fact, the recognition there is the character of God himself. Singing and making melody with object understood and respected as none other than God himself. God is greatly to be revered in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Psalm 89, verse 7. Thus, as we've looked at this verse, what is the fair conclusion that we've reached? We have noted that there is appropriate approval in heaven for music and worship, but there's no mention of a mechanical instrument. The only instrument mentioned is the heart. Furthermore, we noted that the medium consisted of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That certainly implies that there are certain songs that would be inappropriate in worship. A song that, for instance, was worldly in its character, or that spoke about things that were unscriptural in nature, 
that would not be an appropriate song for it would not convey spiritual thrust and meaning and it wouldn't pro appropriately honor God as its object. This statement then in Ephesians 5.19 perhaps leads us to ask, well, what about those other five texts? This one has taught us much. At the bottom of that screen, I ask you to think about a briefer one in Romans 15.9. Near the end of the chapter, or near the end of this book, the Roman letter, Paul addressed the Romans, and to them he was, of course, addressing an interesting and rather divisive subject. It was that of the inclusion of the Gentiles with the Jews in one body that glorified God. Now, they in Rome had a difficulty in that the Jews did not always consider the Gentiles their brethren, even though both were Christians. Throughout that book, Paul hammered home the point, you are both brothers and sisters in Christ to God. In fact, he would say in that book, didn't he, that God is no respecter of persons, Romans 2.11. He later would say in Romans 11 and 12, the character of that God hath removed distinction between you. They needed to understand that they were brothers and sisters in one body. In verse 6 of this same 15th chapter, he would say that with one mouth and one mind, they needed to glorify God. Having said all that, then in verse 9 of chapter 15, he quotes an Old Testament text. I noted that it's Psalm 18, verse 49. And as Paul quotes that, he applies it directly and says that I will confess unto thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And thus Paul made reference by that quotation into a New Testament framework. To this church in Rome, he said the fulfillment of this prophecy is thus this. You're able to confess or profess the name of God and as such, sing unto his name. We do have, again, mention made of music in the church, but what kind of music is it? To be sure, it's a much briefer reference than the Ephesians 5.19 passage, but it does say singing. It's a majestic thing to appreciate that there, the word again indicates that this is song, it is singing. So far, these two passages have clearly taught us that music has a role to play in worship, but that which has been common is singing. Let us look at a third passage. As we look at them one by one, we will try to note that which is common between them and then conclude our lesson a bit later by drawing some singular conclusions from all of them. In Colossians 3 verse 16, this was read by Brother Colonel in our hearing a few moments earlier today another majestic masterpiece in which great detail about the music of the church is given. Beginning in verse 16, Paul wrote to that church in Colossae and said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. It has often been recognized that the Colossian and Ephesian epistles have much in common in the sense that quite often similar topics are addressed in similar order. We noted Ephesians 5.19 a minute ago. It's easy to see a great deal of similarity between that text and this one. But let's look a little more carefully for it does have some additional or supplementary information. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Paul had spoken in this Colossian epistle 
about the overwhelming character of being conformed to the nature of God. In fact, beginning in verse 3, he said, Set not your affection on things on the earth, but rather on things that are above. We notice the desired effect then of, for the Christian of having his life and mind directed and guided by those things from above. But those instructions are found in the Word of God. Those instructions are found written and revealed for us. And hence, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And not just to dwell, but to do so richly. The Greek word means abundantly. We need to appreciate that this word of God is living and active, Hebrews 4.12. As it dwells within us, it's able to aid us to not fall into sin. Psalm 119, verse number 11 to say all that is to remind us that we each need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. We need to be students of that Word and ever desirous of learning and understanding it more deeply. But the second part of the passage, as that Word of Christ dwells within us, without skipping a beat, he says, teaching and admonishing one another. You see, we have the inspired instruction then to teach and admonish. This is every bit as much a command as any other command in the New Testament. He does not say that there's a restricted number of you who must teach and admonish. He doesn't give this duty only to the elders, nor to the preacher, nor to a selected few such as the deacons. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, and as such, teach and admonish one another. Now, we appreciate that on a daily basis, you and I are able to accomplish that instruction and that teaching. But as the verse continues, Paul has a different thought in mind. For he says, as we teach and admonish, which word teach literally means to instruct or to teach. And the word admonish means to warn. He says, how so, Paul? In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And thus he has in mind those assemblies in which we are able one to another to admonish, to warn, to guide, and to teach using songs based upon the Word of God. That adds a greater emphasis to the usage of the word psalms, doesn't it? Many of the psalms have in fact been set to music and we sing them. How about those songs in our book that speak about the greatness and majesty of God? One of the songs in our book comes directly from the 148th Psalm. It's word for word, the 148, at least some of the verses of the 148th Psalm. These references to hymns, that is spiritually written or spiritually active songs, and then these spiritual songs themselves, in which we appreciate the mutual edification and encouragement one of another. As the Word of Christ then dwells in us richly, one aspect or manifestation of that will be the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Note then the next verb, singing. Another mention of music. The music of the church is again identified and yet for the third time it involves singing. The word here presented in the Greek literally means only and nothing more than to sing and thus, Paul has again made reference to this aspect of singing. How, Paul, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Again, reference is made to the heart, isn't it? 
as the instrument where the playing, if you will, or the thought of that song is ultimately presented forth. The conclusion is rather direct and powerful, isn't it? Might we conclude at least this aspect in saying there again is no reference to a mechanical accompaniment. There's no reference to a substitution of that which is vocal for that which is mechanical. He has stated then in each case that the prime audience is to the Lord. In each instance, we've looked at three. We have three more to briefly consider. These two, especially in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, have directed our mind to some encompassing statements. But look with me at this text in Hebrews 2 verse 12. In the second chapter of the book of Hebrews, we remember that the focus and the highlight of the book is the elevation and the exaltation of the name of Jesus above all else that may be mentioned. Greater than Moses, greater than the other heroes of faith, greater than man, greater than the angels. As the Hebrew writer begins the book, he comes to verse number 12 of chapter 2 and quotes an Old Testament passage found in the heart of the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 22. The Hebrew writer says, this quotation in which he exalts the fellowship that's to be found in the church. That verse reads, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Now there are many thoughts that are rather great from that text alone. First of all, who are the brethren of God? The text says it's those in his church. Though many men may teach and think otherwise, the brethren of God through Christ are to be found nowhere except in the church. That's what the text tells us. But then as he closes it, he says, I will sing praise unto thee in the midst of the church. And hence, when we assemble and gather in the middle or midst of that assembled body, we sing praise unto God. Yet another mention then of music within the confines of the glorious body known as the church and the type or the variety, the kind made reference to and mentioned is that of singing. I will sing praise in the midst of the church. It is a blessed privilege we have of coming together and even as we've done this morning to sing praise unto God. How often in the Holy Scriptures does it encourage and even demand that we offer praise to God? It is no small number of occasions. And yet in singing is one blessed way in which we can accomplish that end. I will sing praise in the midst of the church unto God. We each should look forward to those occasions and times when we can fulfill that. And we can teach and admonish one another by so doing. To this point, in four passages, four of them, singing has been uniformly mentioned and there's been no exception to that. Of the other last two that are presented, let's notice that as we look at each one of them in turn, we might well remember the next one is also found in Hebrews. In the last chapter of that book, in Hebrews 13 verse 15, we have one of the concluding thoughts of the Hebrew writer. And on that occasion, he says, as he refers to again the greatness of Christ and our privilege in exalting his name, he says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. 
At this point, as we've just mean, made mention earlier about the necessity and importance of praising God, lauding His name, how does the Hebrew writer say that that praise is accomplished? The fruit of our lips. That's a direct statement from the Greek. The fruit of our lips and hence, as we offer that praise, he made mention of in chapter 2 verse 12, the direct means has to do with the fruit of our lips. The beauty and power of what emanates from my mouth and yours, the fruit of our lips giving praise unto God. As we then reflect upon the usage of that phrase, fruit of our lips, would it not be good for us to at least recollect that does a mechanical instrument have the capability of performing some of the necessary acts that we have discussed so far? Can a mechanical instrument teach and admonish? Can a mechanical instrument offer direction from fruit of lips? An instrument has no lips, but you and I as humans do. You and I as humans have a heart that can emanate forth praises by virtue of the lips and thus offer praise to God. What is demanded apparently in the character of music and worship cannot be satisfied by an instrument, a mechanical one that is. And as such, where is the authority for the usage of them? Or to say that another way, if Colossians 3.17 mandates that we do that which is pleasing according to His Word and His name, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, what has Jesus specified? What has He authorized? What has heaven decreed? Through five texts so far, it has uniformly been the fruit of our lips, the singing of praises unto God. One more to go. Let us turn back the page to 1 Corinthians 14. In this interesting passage, we might remember that Paul is himself discussing some of the issues and problems that had beset the Corinthian congregation. The problem specifically for this chapter was the usage of various spiritual gifts. How about the usage of the gift of tongues? How was that to be utilized? In Corinth, it was being abused. And in the midst of that discussion, Paul made reference to this. He says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. And as he thus made reference to the attitude of prayer and the necessity of the mind or the Spirit being involved, he made note of the fact that the same is true of singing. It is in fact not a good thing, not pleasing to God when we just sing and the words come out of our mouth and we think not about the meaning of those words and the message that's revealed and the message that's conveyed. Paul said, I will sing with the mind. The Greek word literally means mind. And I will sing with the understanding. To sing in that way is thus a recognition of the fact of the praising of God for all the glorious goodness He has bestowed upon us, not only physically, of course, but also spiritually. For all spiritual blessings are to be found in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. These thoughts alone have been rather remarkable in that we have looked at all six references to music in New Testament worship. There are no others. Now, there are other references to types of music in the New Testament. For example, after the fact of the Thursday evening prior to His crucifixion, Jesus and the apostles went out to the Mount of Olives and sang in Him. 
or the text to be found in Acts 16 in which Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail cell at midnight sang praises. We might well say that neither of those was a worship service in the Christian era, but still the reference was to singing. Isn't it interesting then that when one searches through the scriptures and desires to list all passages that refer to this music and worship and to draw the fairy conclusion of the will of heaven, we reach the conclusion that I've listed at the bottom of this screen. Our study has been exhaustive in the sense that only six texts are found, and as we've studied them, we've noted that in every instance, singing was not only mentioned but commanded. We are thus under obligation to sing. Just as surely as we are under obligation to give as we've been prospered, we must sing. God didn't specify the quality, and I'm very thankful, at least in my case, He didn't. But we are commanded to offer the fruit of our lips and praise to God in song. God looks pleasingly upon that. He looks favorably upon that activity. In conclusion today, could you consider these as fair rec recognized statements of what we've learned? The immediate lessons could then be this. The music that is involved in Christian worship today is that of unaccompanied singing. We have looked with great interest and also with a great deal of earnestness, and no reference besides singing has been found. And hence, that alone is the activity to be brought forth or that in which we are to find our participation in singing. The instrument to be played is nothing other than the heart. There is no other. As such, we appreciate then that the third conclusion is that we each have the obligation to participate in that singing if we are able to sing as the fruit of our lips manifests the heartfelt feelings of praise to the God that made us, to the God that's blessed us so abundantly. But in the fourth place, we should sing with understanding, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. It is not a road or ritualistic activity, is it? We must sing recognizing that the fruit of those lips of ours is such that God is listening. We need to say then that which is powerfully upon our mind and the words of those songs convey the scriptural message that we wish to convey to Him. But in the fifth place, as we praise God in this fashion, it is an activity that all creation needs to appreciate. Doesn't, do we not read in Ephesians 1.10? How that in fact the praising of God is one of the singular activities that the entire universe is able to manifest. As we look at the glorious beauty of the universe, it testifies and, and leads us to an added praising of God for His greatness and for His goodness. Finally, in the attitude of our singing and in the accomplishment thereof, we teach and admonish one another. When we sing songs about how beautiful heaven must be, or when we sing songs of e to each other encouraging us to, in fact, love the Lord with all of our heart. Or we sing songs in which we appreciate the powerful way it testifies of the need we each have of God. That song is doing a good work. And the singing that we put into it encourages each of us. May we never forget then that as we sing, we teach and admonish, we exhort and encourage. We do this by commandment of heaven. Today, as we've looked at this attitude of music in Christian worship, it's been a fruitful study. We've looked at a number of passages, and we've come full circle in a sense. 
we began by noting that you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Given that the music of the church is obviously in the church, if you're not a part of the church, dear friend, then your songs are not that which can praise and bring glory to God. You need to be in the body. Are you a member of the body today? Have you been baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38? If we could aid or assist you in accomplishing that today, it would not only be our privilege, it'd be a blessed honor indeed. For you see, you are an immortal spirit. There will come an occasion in which you shall stand before the august presence of the God of heaven and give an answer for all the deeds done in the body of your life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. Are you ready for that judgment? Jesus came from heaven and gave all of us opportunity, the plan of salvation, whereby we could be remitted from sins or have sins remitted from us and stand justified before Him. If we could help you today in that act of confession publicly in baptism, we would be happy to do so. If you've become a Christian, but it's such that the songs that we sing no longer have meaning for you because you've wandered away from the livelihood of the cross, Come back to your first love. Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Luke 9, 23. Are you following the Lord daily? If we could help you by rededicating your life or praying for you for that rededication, let us aid you in that way today. If any of these things is the public need of your life, will you not let that be known while together we stand and while we sing?